Motopod, proudly supported by Roadskin, a UK label specializing in protective outerwear for motorcyclists. Modern biker clothing that you can wear all day long and engineered to save your skin. For the road, for life, visit roadskin.co.uk. Hey, Motorpotters, it's Jim with uh, Jake Gagne here at Pit Race. Jake, thanks for taking some time to talk to me. Yeah, no worries. End of the day, so we don't got much to do now. Yeah, so their season so far has been much different than last year's season. Uh, a lot more consistency this year. Six wins, but not off the box at all. Uh, is that just because the competition level has been raised so much this year? Yeah, no doubt. Um, everybody stepped it up. There's a lot more bikes in the mix, a lot more guys in the mix, um, a lot more guys that can win a race every weekend, you know. So for me, coming off the last couple of years and getting a lot of wins, and um, honestly, like, I'm stoked to see the racing so good. You know, I have a lot of people come up to you every weekend and say, you know, I know you like, I know you want to win them all. I know you like to win, like, last couple of years, but the racing is good. And for me, as a racer uh, and as a fan of the series and as the guy that just wants the series to do well, um, it's good to see, you know, and, and I'm happy to see other teams up there in the mix getting wins, other guys getting wins, um, and yeah, making a making a show out of it. It's been good to have uh, Bobier back in the stakes. That seemed to have really upped, I think, everybody's game, including yours, right? Totally. I mean, Cameron's the guy in America. I mean, five-time, I think, Superbike champ, and um, me and him have raced, man, our, since we were teenagers together, you know? Uh, so, and he's a good guy, you know, we, all of us guys in the superbike class, like, we all get along really well off the track, you know, and on the track, we want to, we want to get down to business and beat each other, but, um, it was good to have him come back, um, like I said, a good, good to see more teams have race winning bikes, and, um, so that, so yeah, in this, this weekend, it's, the year's kind of flowing on by, but it's really tight this weekend, it just keeps, seems to keep getting tighter, so it's good to see. So you have a 68-point lead, you have the races here at Pitt, you go to Coda, and then you have New Jersey left. How do you how do you win the championship? Do you just keep doing what you're doing? Do you change anything? Uh, I think we just got to keep doing what we're doing. I mean, obviously, to me, it's it's wild to have, have a points lead like that, you know, because it has been so tight, and I haven't won that many races. But like you said earlier, I mean, consistency has been the name of the game this year, and course I got handed a couple favors with some DNFs from the other guys and um, I think we had one DNF at Road America other than that we've been consistent so you know we can't change the game plan too much you just gotta I gotta go out there and try to win races try to keep it on the podium try to but at the same time you know not take any un unnecessary risks and um, yeah once we get through this triple header uh, there's only two more rounds left so it's crazy to think about but um, yeah name of the game it seems like it's consistency so. season's flown by that's for sure uh this morning here at pit race first lap right out of the pits and the bike uh has a mechanical let's just put it that way right yeah yeah uh, it was a little wild you don't see that very often with no things. not with these guys uh, no but luckily it was just something minor okay uh they had a red flag because i leaked a little bit on the track but we got the bike back and we um we got in, we got like five laps in at the end, so it wasn't a complete um, a complete wash. And um, yeah, you gotta keep these guys on their toes, you know? They were hustling to try to get us out before before the end of the session, so. 
uh, you know, not the way you want to start a weekend, but hats off to the guys because they got they got it done. We got back out there and uh, still in it. So it wasn't a motor change or anything like that. It was just a simple yeah, fix. Yeah. Well, the quintessential three dollar part. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah. So a couple things up. Where does this track rank as far as favorites for you? This is one of, just as far as pure enjoyment, this is one of the best tracks for me all year. Like, okay. It's just fun, the whole, especially the whole first, the one part that's a little funky is that really slow chicane, because mm -hmm. the rest of the track is so flowy, right. lots of elevation, uh, really nice asphalt. So this has always been one, I, like I said, if I had just to come to come ride at one of these tracks for yeah. fun, this is like one of the most enjoyable be where it would be. for me. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So I always do these kind of questions for everybody that I talk to. So if you could ride any bike on any track, what would you pick and where would you go? Man, it's a good question. Um, well, I'm biased, I guess, but this, I mean, this R1's the, the most amazing motorcycle I've ever ridden, you know, and it feels like mine now. Uh, and where, you know, where would I take it? That's a good question. Uh, man. It's weird. Sky's the limit. Yeah, it's I one know. of those things. hard. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, somewhere in maybe even like Phillip Island or something. Phillip like Island. Yeah, that place. I mean, obviously, I did a I did a lot of those tracks sure. in World Superbike years ago yeah. on a different machine. Um, but that track is just like no other. Super unique and super fast, and obviously a beautiful place. So that's one of those. That's one of those ones you always remember. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yep. So that's that's there. So. What, what got you actually into racing? Like, how did you actually start? So my dad, I remember being a little guy, probably like four or five or whatever. My dad was kind of a motor, motocross guy, dirt bike guy. Um, so he kind of, I obviously convinced him at probably five to get me a dirt bike, started riding around in friends' backyard, backyards and stuff. And uh, fortunately, there was a cool track called Barona, a motocross track near me. So right, right away, it was, as soon as I started riding, I started racing motocross, like, you know as much as possible and just kind of fell in love with it and uh yeah so motocross only until i was 13 or 14 and i didn't know a thing about road racing like even at the time i don't even know if i knew who rossi was i didn't know what motor gp was like i was pure my dream was motocross supercross you okay know? and then uh i was riding for ktm like on 85 65s and stuff and they had heard through my local shop about the red bull rookies cup deal they did here so my dad kind of signed me up on a whim and one day he said, hey, we're going to go out, you want to go to Alabama and ride some street bikes? And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, I'm a kid, I don't care, I'll try anything. And, but again, I had no idea about this world at all. Um, but fortunately, went through the, we, we were able to find some leathers and a helmet and put it all together and um, got picked for the Rookies Cup right. here in the States. And for sure was one or if not the slowest guy starting out, you know, a lot of the kids had at least touched asphalt before and I never had before the tryouts, so... I drug my knee like one time at the tryouts, so somehow they picked me. I don't know why. Um, but then throughout that year, you know, as a kid, you pick up things fast. So sure. it, it got better and better. And towards the end of the year, we won a couple races. And then from there, went and did two years in the European Rookies Cup. Right. So, and then, and then my, at that point, I was kind of like, man, I guess, I guess I'm a road racer now, you know, which I'm happy. I'm happy I did take this route it's given me a lot of opportunities and I've had like I said I've had a lot of great opportunities to yeah. kind of get me where I'm at today and so it's kind of a dream come true so when you went to Europe everybody talks about it being like a big change how, how hard was it as a kid to go to Europe you know I guess at that time I was probably 14 15 maybe 16 um, 
and we didn't in rookies cup we only raced at the european races and i never really stayed over there that long a couple weeks at a time and i was always with like my dad or a family friend danny walker or somebody like that um so it was kind of just in and out you know and uh it was cool it was a shock for sure i was never a big fan of europe okay um what why just i don't know i guess i was never too comfortable there and the food and the language and okay. the scenery i mean there's beautiful parts over there for sure um and you know when you're going over there to race motorcycles it's not like i'm johnny tourist running around and getting to like really enjoy my like you know we're there to race motorcycles so it's a job it's a job yeah and, and so at that at that time and even when i was over there doing world surf bike it's kind of hard to you it's important to step back and you know say like i'm in a cool place i'm in a route driving around the world and to try to enjoy it but at the same time it's like racetrack hotel airplane Is and it, repeat was it just the grind do you think I think so. I mean, like I said, I didn't really experience that heavy grind until after I left Ricky's Cup. There was times where I'd stay over in Spain. I did a little Spanish championship stuff with actually Matthew Schultz was my teammate back then. And at that time, we stayed over in Europe for weeks and months. And Spain, I just, especially Spain, I wasn't a big fan of the place. I guess the food and yeah, uh, I, and I don't speak the language. You know, even as a kid, everybody's telling me you got to learn Spanish. You got to learn Spanish, but. 15, 16, I'm like, oh, fuck that. I don't know. You don't care. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, I wish I would have, but, um, yeah, just a different world, and I, I'm just, I'm really, in a, I love racing here in the States. Obviously, I'm comfortable. I get to go home. I get to work with people that I've known my, almost my whole career in road racing, um, so it's cool, and it's great to see the Moto America Series getting stronger and stronger every year, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to just be a part of it and be a part of the Yamaha family, especially, so it's a good gig. All right, switch gears and uh, one question I'll let you go. Do you follow much of the MotoGP scene or the World Superbike scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I watch it when I can. I don't watch it all, You're not I guess, following. all no, the time. I'm not like a super fan. Okay. But, um, I'm just curious if being a professional racer like yourself, you sort of look to look there, there, there maybe was, kind of a fond little look yeah, over here and there. There was a couple years where I didn't really watch GP. Um, it got. I mean, you know, there's good and bad years, but sure. lately, like the sprint races have been pretty epic, and obviously, like the field is so tight, it's always good racing now. And uh, so, I like this year, I've seen probably most of them. And I always loved watching Moto Two when Cambodia was over yeah. there because I was always getting to root him on. It's nice to have an American in there. Obviously, with Joe still and uh, and SDK, yeah. you know, I always try to root those guys on. And uh, but I'm still. I'm still a motocross, supercross guy at heart. I'll watch oh, really? those all really? the time. Yeah. 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 So you think what Jet's doing is incredible? Yeah, that guy's on another level. Yeah. I mean, just his riding is kind of, it's unreal. I mean, he makes it look so easy, especially when he stepped on the 450. It was just a smooth transition. And um, I'm always, I'm a big Tomac fan, as always. So I oh, hope okay. to see him go out in supercross and give him a run for his money. But seeing what he's done in outdoors this year, it's it's hard to imagine anybody can stop him, yeah. you know, and he's, it could be he's a making it look season. so easy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, there. it's like the RC and Stewart days, you know? <laughs> yeah, that it is. All right, Jake, I appreciate your time. Thanks yeah, for no it. worries. Sorry. Bye. So I'm with um, Steve Rogers, boss of uh, McCam's Yamaha. Steve, welcome to the show. I don't think we've interviewed you before, uh, so we're grabbing our chance whilst we can. Mixed feelings, it's what, what penultimate round for the team? Yeah. How yeah. you feeling? Yeah, no, we're good. No, no, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be a bit sad at runs, but, um, yeah, I think time's right for us. 
Is there a particular reason behind the withdrawal? I mean, I probably could have read about it somewhere, but I might as well ask you directly. Is it just you've had so much success, it's time to do something different? Or? Yeah, I well, it's just, I mean, to be honest with you, all the sponsors, everybody wanted to carry on. Yeah. Um, it's just I didn't want to, really, so just want a bit of time, do other things, and, yeah. you know, obviously we still be involved, we still have the de- Yamaha dealership, which will still supply parts and race bikes into the paddock and stuff, so... Yeah. Yeah, but just, yeah, just needed what, a bit of time back, really. Yeah. I mean, the team's been so successful, hasn't it? over the years in this championship and I mean you've been an absolute backbone of the championship for so long what is can you pick out a highlight or oh, a couple of highlights I mean 21 winning the championship with Taz isn't yeah. it obviously yeah, um, yeah. I mean both riders did a mega job all year you know we won 22 of the 33 races I was on the podium in pretty much every other race um, so yeah that, that's got to be that 21 absolute pinnacle of the season really wasn't it oh it was in terms of performance you know when previous to that obviously we've We've won Super Sport and you know finished second in the championship four times. Yeah. Um, I mean, you almost were thinking, are we ever going to win a championship? And uh, obviously, yeah, 21 was the one. And last question, because I'm just letting you get on, because it's a busy old day for you and the team. But obviously, since Tim dropped out of the team for his own personal reasons, you've had a. Uh, quite a few different people on the bike so how's that worked have you sort of been able to go out and kind of pick people that you wanted to have a quick chance to work with or has it been a little bit more kind of structured than that um i mean the only thing that was really structured was obviously nico on the bike for the last two which obviously yamaha wanted obviously with nico being the uh, test rider and stuff i think they wanted him to ride the bsb bike and then in between really um we just sort of you know we, we gave luke a chance obviously tito did three rounds as well yeah um yeah just to get two bikes out there really because obviously you know you, you want as much coverage as you can for sponsors and stuff so um yeah i've got to ask you was there a little cheeky call that went into towns to say do you fancy coming back for a half a season <laughs> <laughs> i did ask yeah <laughs> but he's, he's a bit he's committed to the world job so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and he needs to stick with that doesn't he so. right steve there's somebody lining up to get your autograph so no, i'm I'm going to let you go, but best of luck for the weekend Thank and uh, thanks for everything you've done for the championship. No I mean, worries. Thank we're all, you so much. Deep down, we're all bike racing fans, and it's sad to see you go. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. So it's Rich from Motorpod again here, and uh, I'm delighted to say I'm actually sat with a couple of the young guns in the British Superbike paddock. So we've got Luca Allen and Carl Harris. So where should we start, Luca? Let's start with you. So Luca, you run in British Supersport yeah. in the GP2 class. So tell people because the Motorpod listeners might not know who you are so just have a little yeah, bit right. of a background as to where you've come from so i raced um i started out on motocross when i was i think i was six yeah might have been seven so we started out on that and it was a lot of it was just at local track and then as i went up to we've done 65s but stayed like quite local went to 80s and the uh, 85 big wheel stuff like that just done a few rounds at like the amca national and stuff like that and then um, we got we found about this um, British mini bikes, and then we got into that. Spent a year on mini bikes, then jumped straight to a Ninja 300 in the Bemsey Team Green Cup, and we jumped to that. Now I had a year in there, and then decided to make a move to BSB Junior Supersport in 2020. Okay. And then that was just a big learning year, really, because obviously the boys in Junior Supersport were a lot quicker than the Team Green lot. So then. We made a move to the R3 for 2021, and I was supposed to do stock six last year on a R6, but I had a injury out in Texas, flat tracking, mm-hmm. where I'd done my ACL, MCL, lateral, and meniscus ligaments. Sounds bloody painful. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. It's way worse than breaking a bone ligaments. And then, um, so I had to have a year out, because I had surgeries on that, and 
and she had to wait for the recovery period, in which time I got to know Sarah and everyone a bit more and Fraser. And then they got, because that uh, Moto 2 wasn't officially up for sale, and they managed to buy that off of the Ryan Saxel beer, ran it previously, mm-hmm. and now we're on British Supersport GP2. So, I mean, the Supersport category is a ferociously competitive, uh, high-level category. So, yeah. you've, I mean, you've come up through the ranks very quickly, haven't you? I think there's aspect of like we was very quick to push me on through classes quite quickly because we were looking at kids my age what else they were doing because obviously we were new to it or when I was in the team green we saw like um, Ash Barnes and Lewis Jones and that we saw them moving to BSB so we thought oh, that's what we've got to do yeah and I think there's very much a lot of that when you first start out and then um, it's kind of like snowballs really it? yeah yeah all right so Carl People are going to know your name a little bit, Carl Harris. So obviously you had the famous dad, who everybody will will know and remember very well. So I suppose your progression into the sport was kind of almost destined to happen in a way, wasn't it? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. So a couple of years ago, I started off motocross in in club level in one two fives, and we decided to move up to the British Championship. And last year, twenty twenty two. We had a shot at that and we were consistently in the top 10. And I think I got 10th in the championship in that, so it's a solid year. And then my uncle, somehow he got in a conversation with Steve Brogan and we asked him if he'd give us a shot on his stock 600 bikes, what he he asked. So he agreed with it and got it all planned out and sorted to get out in Spain and just, we'll do six days on track out there and see how it all goes and from there I've loved it ever since so we made some plans got some sponsors in board and yeah now we're here in the BSB straight up first year it's just a learning year just see how far I can get up I've got one point at the moment so I'm happy about that but every track's a new it's a new track to me I've never ridden to any of them so it's right. just, it's always a learning curve, but I want to get to the front as quick as possible. Yeah, of course. Now, so Luca, how old are you? 17. Yeah, to think about that. I did, yeah. <laughs> and Carl, you're? 17. You're both, well. so you're both 17 years old. So I'm always fascinated with you youngsters, and I can say that because I'm 51, mate. How much pressure you're under to, you know, because there's obviously a lot of pressure around sponsorship and, you know, keeping the boat afloat financially. And I guess you maybe not get so involved in that, but I suppose that's always part and parcel of in the background, isn't it? And then you've got the pressure to perform. Plus, at your age, obviously, you've been going through education and stuff as well. And hopefully, you've been concentrating on that night a little bit. So just tell us a little bit what it's like. Luca, you said you started off at six or seven years old. Yeah. Carl, I'm guessing you were sort of out yeah. across in a similar sort of age as well. So have you juggled all this sort of stuff? And is it very pressurised? Or do you kind of just let that go to the side a little bit and just concentrate on the riding? You see, obviously, your parents, people around you, working really hard to keep you in what you're doing and what you love and what you want to try and make something out of. You see them working really hard all the time. And then you've got to try and juggle that with then seeing sponsors, obviously, put putting money in, coming to rounds, and then you're thinking, ah, right, they're coming to this round now, which is almost, although it shouldn't really be, it's almost a bit of an added pressure. Yeah, because it's like, to be, yeah. yeah. You want to perform. Carl, how about yourself? You just got to juggle it around and you, you find ways to get through school and well I still work now doing motocross engines and so I'm loving that at the moment it's really good because it helps with the bike setup. I know what's going on underneath and it's good but you juggle your way around things and it's got to happen hasn't it yeah we'll make it happen yeah, yeah. exactly 
Um, I mean, hopefully by talking to both of you, there's a couple of other riders that we've talked to, or I've talked to in the paddock over the last year and stuff, and that's generated a bit of interest with the Motopod listeners in terms of lending a bit of help and support here and there. So hopefully that might be something that comes out of this as well. Lucas, so your parents, are they, were they sort of always bike fans? I mean, what, you named after Luca Cadalora or something, are you? Or what's, what's, the, <laughs> what's the connection here? I don't, I don't really know, to be fair. I think they kind of missed, must have opened a, an a, Italian book or something. Maybe a name book and they must have picked it up in Italy or something. Um, <laughs> I don't really know where that came from, to be fair. I mean, my nephews have all got weird and wonderful names as well. Like you've got Lorenzo, Ramon, and Keel. Right. It's all kind of not very British names. No, it all sounds quite motorbike related. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I don't. I don't really know where that came from. I've never really asked if it was after Luca Cadlaw or anything like that. No. Obviously, you are part of the Fraser Rogers '89 team. Yeah. So, do your parents have any involvement in your racing now? Are they here, or I mean, how they, does that work out? Because you're still quite young, obviously. Yeah, yeah, they were here um, today. They weren't here yesterday. I mean, this is like the big benefit of obviously running with these guys. The big benefit is obviously the people I've got around me, the knowledge I've got around me. But another big benefit is the fact that obviously I work for my dad and with his business, and I work for him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I can't do Thursday and Friday because yeah. I'm always at a track. So I help out with um, Sarah as a race school at the mini bikes in Hallavington. Yeah, yeah, which is just up the road from where I live. Yeah, and at Fab Racing and stuff at the mini bike racing across the UK. So I go and help with that as well. Okay. So on a Thursday and Friday, I'm almost never at work, which then means me running with these guys. Dad can still go to work on a Thursday and a Friday, and he can still do that, which is I think has definitely been really beneficial for Dad. He always like really struggles to have time off work because mm. obviously it's it's like it's your business, it's your baby, whatever. So it's hard to have the time off because if he's not there, not nothing's happening. Money coming, yeah, yeah, nothing's yeah. happening. It's, it's stationary, nothing's happening. Because I'm always fascinated in this aspect of I wouldn't call this pad at the grassroots because clearly it's much much higher mm. than that. But you know everybody's putting a lot on the line, aren't they, yeah. um, to make this kind of happen and to make this work. And so I think it's good for the listeners to hear from the likes of you two, you know, because obviously we talk to a few of the BSB riders from time to time and yeah. you know, obviously that's the top, top level, isn't it? And at that stage, they're getting paid to ride a lot of them. Um, whereas it's much, much harder when you're in the junior formula, isn't it? Yeah. So tell me about how your year's going so far. Um, I had an interesting start to the year. Uh, round one at Silverstone, I were... I'd, we still don't really know what I've done wrong. <laughs> the data don't really scream anything massive. I'd come into turn one, then you flip left for like the, the kink left for yep. turn two. I just lost front coming out, crashed at 120 something mile an hour, I think the data said. So, yeah, fast enough. Yeah. And I managed to cut across, you know, where the trap loops around, you've got the grass. I managed to cut across that, go through the air fencing. At that point, I was like relatively. Relatively, I was all right, and then landed the other side of the track, and someone ran straight over my ankle. Obviously, right, not obviously not intentional. Not intentional, no, no, of course. But um, then that put my ankle into into two bits, so I had to miss Owen Park. I come back for here, um, but earlier in the year, and but it was still I still really shouldn't have properly. Not that it was affecting me on the bike, but if I'd gone down, it probably wouldn't have been very pretty. Mm. And then for the rest of the year, it's literally just been building confidence back up on it because it's so stiff, it's so hard to ride that Calyx. It's yeah, a bit of a yeah. struggle sometimes. Yeah, of course, because it's the GP2 bike, so it's a yeah. prototype chassis. So yeah, you yeah. have to put a lot of force through your feet. Yeah, I guess to steer the thing. Yeah, it can be a bit of a struggle at times, but we're getting there with it definitely. And what's your best result been this year? I mean, I'm guessing you've had a bit of an up and down year because of the injury. But... Yeah, I think my best overall result I think was 15th. Okay. But in class, my best was a uh, third. 
Oh wow! Okay. Knock Hill. So um, yeah, not too like displeased with the seasons. We've got a lot of valuable data. Yeah. And stuff like that. But now it's it was it was expected it was going to be a tough year after a, the year out and now more plunderers like. And do you know what you're doing next year yet, or is it too early to be sort of asking that question? Because I know. Yeah, it's quite often a bit hand to mouth this paddock in terms of deals we're getting done late and then what you're doing. But no, have you got any sort of future? We're very happy within the setup and team I'm in. Obviously, I've got like I said earlier, I've got a lot of knowledge around me, um, a lot of big support and stuff like that. So we're definitely staying with these guys for next year. Cool. We're done. We're sorted. We're almost adamant GP2 is staying for next year. So we're pretty set in stone for next year. Right. Definitely. And Carl, so you said that you've. This is your first year, obviously, so it's yeah. a massive, massive learning exercise. And you've had a, you've got a point. You've had a fifteenth as well, yeah. somewhere down the line. Where, where did that come? Alton Park. I was in the wet, so nice. I wouldn't say I'm the best in the wet, but I'm, I'm good because of the motocross, and just need to keep chipping away. Every chat we get to keep getting closer to the front. So, and do you feel that, like every time you're out on the bike? You are learning, oh, genuinely definitely. learning something new. Definitely, all the time. It's like, you just grow your confidence more you get on the bike. and You learn new things, bike setup, t- trusting the tyres, everything, every little bit. It's yeah. just like, it's overwhelming, but you get used to it. Presumably, you're at that stage where, or would you say that the bike is more capable than you are still? So you're still finding the limit of the yeah. bike, or you're already starting to get into that area where there's certain things you want the bike to do? For you yeah that's what we're just trying to get to at the minute is just finding the limit you know the good thing now is i'm not crashing all the time i'm staying on the bike but learning and growing my speed so it's coming but we just need to find that limit where we're good and just increasing the time all the time and are you going to be on the same bike next year or the no. same categories you think or well the stock six they've got rid of that class next year oh, have so, they? sorry i didn't know yeah that. okay They've uh, got rid of stock six, so I'm planning on definitely doing the Super Teens 400 class. And we're having a few chats with people, and hopefully, we're going to run the bike. What I've got the stock 600 now in the Super Sport Cup class, so should be a good year next year. Yeah, okay. So, guys, social media. Where can people find you? I'm, I'm sure you must have, so, or I'm assuming you've got accounts and stuff yeah. where people yeah. can look you up. <laughs> Come on, let's do a bit of advertising. Well, I've got Facebook and Instagram, that's what I use the most on like team reports and stuff. I think it's it's Carl Harris with a C dot nine. Do you want me to check that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memories aren't always the best. Uh, no. I'm <laughs> pretty sure it is anyway. Carl Harris dot nine, followed yeah. by Bennett's yeah. Bar. Dot nine, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it right. Yeah. Okay, and how about you, Luca? I use Instagram and Facebook most as well. On Instagram I'm Luca Allen. All one word, no capitals. But on the Allen, it's with two ones. It's my number incorporated with that. And then Facebook, yeah, it's just Luke Allen again. Yeah. Just without the numbers this time. Yeah. Well, look, chaps, it's a, it's a great pleasure to meet you. And um, as I say, it's a little bit serendipitous that I bumped into Sarah in the uh, the country store in Caution the other day. Yeah, so um, I'm glad to hear that you you know you're learning and you're doing all right and enjoying it and um, that you'll be in the paddock next year so maybe we can catch up a little bit next year i'm trying to get along to more and more bsb if i can yeah, but i've got a day yeah. job too so it's a little bit hard to juggle everything <laughs> but um we'll keep in touch with you if we can and yeah, um, you know, we'll see how you're getting on and um as i say if any of the listeners want to sort of check you out they know where you are now in terms of your social media yeah and let's see if we can generate a little bit of extra support for you perhaps. definitely that'd be awesome thank you cheers guys cheers cheers <laughs>
All right, I'm just catching up with Asher Durham again. Uh, Asher's, uh, it was Alton Park, which was round two, wasn't it? Yeah. I think when we spoke for the show last time. So you've had a bit of a storming year, haven't you? After missing the first round, because of the, I think it was a sponsorship thing that yeah. delayed you getting going. That's right. That's so right. you've had a, a bit of a kick-ass year. Yeah, since then, yeah, since then we've had um, quite a few podiums, a win on the way, and um, we're currently lying third in the championship, 22 points off with three races to go. We've got qualifying in about an hour and a half or, or so, maybe a little bit less, um, in a not-so-sunny yes, Donington Park. Fairly chilly and a bit drizzly. Yeah, uh, yes. the, the Italian Cup boys have just been out and it was dry for their race, but the rain's coming at the minute. Superbikes have got their race won now, so see what the weather does but hopefully we can get a good qualifying today good race tomorrow and see where we lie for the last round at Brands Hatch what's your feeling in the wet I mean do you like riding in the wet is it you, do you sort of feel like you excel yeah. in the wet or is it a hindrance um it's not a hindrance I I mean riding a bike trying to bike you know um it's part of it I'd prefer it to be dry I think most people prefer it to be dry there's just a lot less risk yeah. but at the same time same for everybody I'm still competitive in the wet and I think that's the most important thing so, yeah, ready for whatever comes. And are you confident for this weekend? I mean, where does Donington rank on your sort of list of yeah. sort of favourite tracks? But this was my first run of podiums earlier on in the year, so I was battling for the win. Just missed out for second, but you know we won the length the old lap record last time we were here, and that was only my second or third time, no, second time on the bike, I believe. Yeah, second time on my bike. I've, it was Alton Park, then we came straight to Donington, and I was on the podium. So, right, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, hopefully we have another good run. And in terms of the championship, I mean, what's your feeling? Uh, 22 points is not yeah. so far behind. And it's obviously, no. as I said to you earlier on when we were chatting, yeah. watching the 600 races, yeah. uh, if you hadn't missed the first round, you'd obviously be a lot closer, probably. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Well, 25 points a win and I'm 22 points off. And I'd like to think I'd be at there or thereabouts and taking points off at round one for the people. So we'd either be a couple points off the leader or in the lead, you don't know. But... Um, it's just one of them. We, we've got what we've got. Still can win it, so yeah. it would be pretty cool if we did win it after missing more round one. I mean, we must just, uh, as I said to you earlier, we must just yeah. put a little shout out to Jeremy yeah. Burnish, who's yeah. uh, Uda Lolly, Uda uh, chocolate it. man uh, in America, who's <laughs> yes. been uh, helping you out a little bit um, this yeah, year. So exactly. I'm sure you want to sort of say thanks to him. Yeah, yeah, no, massive thank you to him. We've got our own chocolate out, so um, kip- I don't know how you say it, chipolate. Like that. Yeah, yeah, donut, donut chocolate is, yeah. is pretty kick-ass. Um, yeah, it's blending pretty much everything. It's not your, your average chocolate, but it's a cool thing, cool care lab we've got with them. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's nice it's to see and you know know that the Motopod listeners or some of them are able to sort of oh. chip in and help out a little bit. It yeah, all helps, it. isn't it? At the end of the day, hundred percent. Every every little last bit helps. Yeah, helps to get on track and helps us stay fast. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. you know, support and money well spent in terms of your championship year, yeah. lying a solid third, as you say, yeah. and still in with a shout. 100%. So uh, we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season, Thank and you. certainly tomorrow. Yeah, appreciate it. Right. Thank you. Cheers, Ash. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye. Nice one. So, we're uh, at a very, very wet and miserable Donington, but I'm happy to say I'm walking along with Ben Curry. Ben. 2023 British Super Sport Champion as of today. Congratulations, how does it feel? Yeah, it feels amazing to be honest. It's been a, a long time coming as people have been saying and been grinding away trying to get the results for many years now and it's all come together after a really tricky time in my career and um, yeah, all come together at a perfect time to bounce back after one of my hardest seasons you know, ever and uh, 
to wrap up the championship with still three races left is yeah. a dream, really. Awesome. And you've had a perfect season in a sense. You started off steady and it's just got better and better as the year's gone on, hasn't it? How much is that is down to you, the team, the bike, or just obviously a combination of all of it clicking, I suppose, as the year's gone on? Yeah, the development's been incredible with myself and the team, really. You know, I've had to change my riding style and the team's had to learn the best way with the V2. Obviously, they've run the Superbike for so long that it's, it's a new, you know, it's uncharted territory for them. So amazing progression is, is shown with I think I've just recorded nine consecutive podiums five of them wins yep. in the last nine um, I've got 13 podiums for the whole season combined yeah and after the win today we've still got three more that we can try and win so yeah. it's super cool what's the record in the season do you know in uh, terms of wins uh, in terms of wins I'd say Jack Kennedy had that he dominated one of the years where yeah, he won okay. pretty much every race apart from a few so um, not quite there yet, but uh, we'll have a go. And I remember listening to you talking, it was probably one of the chats with Dave, actually, Dave Neal, where you sort of mentioned the fact that you've kind of really turned yourself around in terms of the sort of the getting your head back into the season. And it's just completely turned around, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, l- last year, this time last year, I was a completely different person. Yeah. Um, I was so unwell. Um, coming back from major injuries and um, getting beaten around in World Super Sport on a very uncompetitive package with a crew that really didn't, you know, support me in any way. So it was a tough, tough time. And um, to, you know, to step into a team like this and then back it up with the championship is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, well, we don't know precisely what you'll be doing next year, I guess, uh, right now. And that's something you'll need to announce at a slightly later stage. But um, hopefully we'll see you back defending the yeah. one plate or perhaps even getting onto the bigger Yeah, bike. whatever it will be, it'll be brilliant. Look, uh, you know, defending the number one plate has always been a dream of mine to do, run a number one. So who knows? We'll see what the yeah. future's got to say. Well, again, congratulations from me and Thank from you. everybody at Motorpod. And uh, yeah, well deserved. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out next Appreciate year. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, Ben. Nice one, mate. Thanks, I'll mate. See you later. Cheers. <laughs> Okay, last interview of the day. I'm very pleased to be joined today or this evening by Chaz Davis. Chaz, welcome back onto the show. I'm pretty sure you have been on in the past, but it's probably some years ago. Yeah, long enough ago that I definitely don't remember it. But yeah, although in an average like year, you ten, guys would have done probably, probably I don't know what hundreds and hundreds of interviews in any given competitive year, wouldn't you? So yeah, I mean, yeah, impossible to remember. You generally do remember that it means it's a long time ago. If it's escaping the memory, yeah. it definitely was. I'm, I'm sure you have been. Ago, I'll, yeah, I'll get back to you in yeah. terms of when that might have been. But uh, anyway, I mean, obviously, fairly recently retired yep. from full competitive yep. action um, I mean just as a little side note you did the 24-hour race yeah. didn't you uh, yeah was that in France it was yeah so I did um, actually did starting from last year I did the start in Spa um, so long story short Xavi Forres um, obviously used to race against him was like he called me last year and was like oh, can you join us for Le Mans and so I was supposed to join them for Le Mans I got sick and then he said, oh, can you come to Spa? So I went, for, went to Spa last year, had my first taste of endurance. Because I still, like, even though I'm retired from World Superbike, I, I sort of made it clear at the time that I, I did want to dabble in you know, yeah. whatever's available. I'm not desperate, yeah. but at the same time, I love riding motorbikes. So the niche so, that needs to be scratched every yeah, so often. <laughs> pretty much. And endurance thing has appealed quite a bit. I, th- I like the idea of getting through a 24-hour and just experiencing it. Like, And that's also part of the reason behind uh, retirement is that life's pretty it's all different um, things that you can get involved in and yeah. just doing the same thing year on year on year is you know to me I like a bit of variety so yeah. just just dabbling in endurance was is you know something that was on the radar as it happened Chavi Forrest called me said can you join 
So I did join them in Spa last year, and then I went to um, Baldur, and then we did Le Mans at the, at the beginning of this year. And that was the first one that we finished because we've had some, not crazy technical issues or anything, just more like teething problems, lack of understanding sometimes. You know, endurance racing is pretty brutal on man and machines. So I was going to say, how grueling is it? I mean, how many stints would you have done in that 24 hour period, for example? Uh, I did eight. Uh, eight stints, yeah. Wow. So it was eight hours. Eight yeah. hours on the bike. Each yeah. stint was fifty-eight minutes. But then you go, you go through all conditions as well. Obviously, it, it was April, so the morning stint was really morning. It was three degrees. Yeah, safety car I mean, comes out. What's yeah. it like racing in the dark, for example? Le Mans wasn't too bad because it's quite well lit. Um, so it wasn't too bad there. But in Spa last year, well, that was. That's wild because obviously Spa is Spa and yeah, it's like right in the woods, quite, it? right in the woods and it's, it is pitch black. It's, you, know, you have different humidity patches that you're riding through both both on track and in the air. You can you know you literally feel it all and it's it was a weird one. Um, spa very very demanding like in terms of concentration, really really tough, but hell of an experience. I mean, Spa is like, famous for having potentially three weather systems at any given point in time at some point around the track, isn't it? So, yeah, and it, yeah, it's. it's Perfectly true. As well, yeah. <laughs> now, just a couple of, sort of career stats. Just, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows this, but World Super Sport Champion. Yeah. Yeah. Eleven. Uh, 2011. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Daytona 200 winner in your second yeah. attempt, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, how many World Superbike wins did you rack up in the uh, end? 32. 32. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, an immense career to look back on. Which we're not going to go into too much of that now. But yeah. your role now is as a rider coach for the Uber IT Racing Field. Ducati yeah. team. Is it more fun coaching the World Superbike guys or do you sort of get a bit more of a kick out of working with the younger guys like Nico Gulliger for example in Supersport this year? Yeah, good uh, question. It's it's very different. It is definitely different and I think it doesn't really matter who as long as you, if you feel like you're able to add to something constructive during the weekend whether it's you know working with the rider in terms of what they're doing or whether it's bringing something on the engineer's side so showing them video going through something and maybe we can pick pick about the bones of the data and, and get something out of it that's the fulfilling part for me it's right like, you know making a difference yeah that's trying to trying to add to um you know, or use the experience that i've got just to try and add, add detail like I, I sort of said when i signed up for this job is that it's definitely no silver bullet like um I've, i never had anybody do it to the level that i'm doing it now but i did have people that help me with their eyes and their ears track side you know but nowadays I think it's so important if you can gain half a tenth of a second a lap that's what you need that's it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. even half you know five hundredths of a second they all add up and it's like not only that but also on the strategy side and like looking for where we might be strong where could be a passing opportunity during the race how to manage the race where another particular rider might be strong so it's just to calm the riders that in, in my garage to, to be like don't worry in the first lap you know he's going to be strong there but wait for the tyre to drop and it's a full like multifaceted uh, job but it's yeah it's definitely it's it's rewarding yeah so I mean you've kind of answered a little bit what my next question was so I was going to sort of ask you are you sort of full on into setup data and trackside observation stuff or is it I've kind of written it on my question here it's almost like an experienced psychologist in terms of being able to look into the eyes of the rider and mm know what it is they're thinking and sort of be that link man to the engineering team and the crew chief and whatnot to translate that into something that will help them yeah a little bit of everything yeah, yeah so on both sides not not 
psychologist by any stretch, but but knowing how a rider thinks and, and also the timing of a, any conversation, like I'm not going to overload the rider at the wrong time of day, you know, I, I try not to do that anyway. I, my approach to this job is kind of less is more because I know how a rider ticks and it's like you just want a bit of their time to show them maybe where they can, um, where they might be losing a bit of time, but you want to share it in the most bite-sized format yeah. that you can yeah. and let them crack on, whether it's going for a massage or going to get lunch or whatever. Like, I know how it is to be a rider. You, like, Even if the guys, we're all working for the same goal and working for the, the rider's interests, but it's still, like, just, you know, respecting their their time. They, they might want to switch off and, and approaching it all in the right way. So it's also interesting from my point of view, you know, having been in that seat and now dealing with somebody... In, in that seat and uh, yeah like and also with the engineers just trying to tie tie everything together and yeah, like I said using the experience especially with this bike I think if it was a different I think the added value here is that I know this bike very well yeah the electronics package is something that's developed over the last 10 years since I've been riding the Ducati so it's I know it intricately I know it really really well so and that gives me a head start in terms of being able to help them um, and and last year that was you know, there was a lot of stuff that we did on the electronic side where we're like yeah we hit the nail on the head a few times and it gives us more information for yeah. you know, the position that we're in today it all, it all helps it's, it's possibly a little bit unrealistic to ask you to pinpoint a specific example but you alluded to it a minute ago I mean had you had somebody like yourself in the pits when you were you know competitively riding the World Superbike can you see an example where that would have really helped you in a certain situation or just as a yeah. general thing? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's not it's no silver bullet. There are some weekends where things just flow and you, you need minimal inputs and things are just going. There are other weekends where they're the opposite of that and yeah. that's when you need somebody to get into the detail and because it's quite a, it can be a lonely place being a struggling rider, like you're you're pulling your hair out and you're trying to you know, go through setup stuff and you're thinking about your riding and what, what can you do different and why are you struggling it's a, okay struggling in sector four why am I struggling sector four is four corners which one of them am I losing time you go and try and follow somebody but you get like that single opportunity to, to sort of figure it out behind somebody else they might not want you to follow them so I think having eyes it's just part of the game now like in sports in general everybody's got a coach and in motorcycle racing it's relatively new you know, last 10 years yeah. I would say yeah. um, but it's it's an essential part of the game and definitely there are I can think of a few places like Portimao last corner for example where I always struggled and I would be great until sector 4 They're like you know red sector red sector red sector and then all of a sudden you know 6 tenths off yeah. so what I'm doing now especially with the video side of things I would love had, would have loved to have had that but yeah it all moves oh, on so you actually do like video analysis of yeah. different of all the different bikes presumably for yeah. any given section of track oh interesting yeah. okay yeah. video and overlay like playstation overlay stuff so like yeah. uh, ghost videos so basically no stone left unturned <laughs> like, all, like all motorsport these yeah. days I try and keep it simple but at the same time when we need to go into detail you know I'm, I'm there for it it's yeah. like let's, let's get into it and figure this out. I mean, to jog people's memories, it must be remembered that you were sort of ploughing a fairly singular furrow in the sense that you were very tall for a World Superbike yeah. rider. I mean, I've been talking to Loris today. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get to Scott, but I had a chat with Danilo as well. And, yeah. you know, clearly size is a hindrance when, you know, the bikes are getting smaller year on year as well. It looks like they are to me. I mean, they're tiny, like 600s from a few years ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, luckily, and especially in a factory team, you know, you're able to 
sort of have everything at your disposal to, to make the bike a bit bigger, to have slightly different you know, yeah. s- shapes and sizes, to really customize it to yourself. So it's not the be all end all. I think that the bike in terms of like an ergonomic side, I think you can make it fit. Most people can, even somebody tall like Loris, but obviously then on the, on the weight side, the penalty that you pay in terms of tire life and everything like that. Like normally it evens, it evens out. You'll always get your strengths and your weaknesses. And yeah. you know, even really light riders have, have their struggles as well. Like Alvaro can't, cannot change direction like Johnny can or like Danilo can even. Like I've had this chat with people today a fair bit because obviously it's a bit of a hot topic, isn't yeah. it, um, at the minute? Although, I mean, I wrote a little blog piece on the Motopod website a few weeks ago and uh, basically saying that, you know, at the end of the day, if you look through the annals of history and whether it be two-wheel or four-wheel you always tend to get a dominant combination of team bike rider manufacturer whatever and it's just for everybody else to catch up and do a better job at the end of the day that's so i mean is, i'm sure yeah. that will be yeah. your view given that you're in the same team set up as alro but yeah uh, and as well you know i see firsthand and in detail what he does as a rider and the difference he makes and where he makes it and there's a lot of ducatis out there and there are other light riders on those ducatis uh, uh, and they're so not making that difference that, that he is so i know you can't give, give away trade secrets but i mean can you see where he i mean obviously he's a, a bloody good rider yeah. i mean look at his pedigree where he's come from uh, championships and so on yeah. but is there anything in particular that he's just so much better at is it on brakes is it on what is he's it strong, he's strong on the brakes he can get it get it solved. especially this year i think he's taken a step forward with his confidence just you know putting the, the demons of 2019 to bed sort of thing mm. um but he you know his throttle control is pretty exceptional he's also basically he just builds momentum from so early in the corner so he doesn't he doesn't overly rush the entry but he's very early to the throttle and he just just one percent two percent three percent he doesn't you know grab handfuls yeah. of throttle and, and upset the bike or anything like that but he's always flirting with that little little bit of spin without going crazy and it's just the momentum that he carries everywhere like it's he really does flow around the track and he is like he's the the quintessential 250 rider and that's kind of how this bike how he has this bike you know he has the, doesn't have crazy engine brake on it he runs it quite stiff there's a lot of parallels with with an older Aprilia 250 which he was an exceptional yeah. you know brilliant two-stroke rider so that's how it, it works for him yes you know he's light but he really gets he gets everything out of the bike coming out the corner so when you when you see a guy doing that that does weigh 50 whatever kilos of course it's going to be fast like he, he when you, you've got that perfect combination of engine a guy that can utilize Will suck everything out of the package yeah. and his uh, skill set it's pretty hard to beat talking about that pesky fourth sector at Portimao I have to say this year in the race it was so evident how much quicker through that turn he was mm-hmm. coming out that final bend mm-hmm. in Portimao onto that long straight because yeah. a lot of people were sort of saying maybe understandably but you know he was passing easily on the straights but as you say the other Ducati riders weren't getting off that final turn anything like this quick so yeah. it's clearly something that he's doing is yeah. making him that much better another thing as well like when uh, I don't think a lot of credit or it's not really spoken about a lot but the electronics on Ducati you know Ducati a fantastic electronics package and if you look at MotoGP it's kind of no holds barred racing you know what you there's a lot of scope for development in that uh, okay and there's certain freezes going on but really the manufacturers have a, a lot of development power and who's on top there where it's kind of no holds barred racing uh you know throw everything you've got at it ducati's still coming out top so it just shows that they're at a technologically superior level where yeah. it is up to the others to catch up because you a lot of people can pin it on oh you know the b4r is uh 
costs whatever and the uh, Yamaha costs this. Yeah, okay, uh, there's, you can make that argument, but okay. Everybody but else everybody with a hundred million budget in MotoGP, the result is no different. So it's, yeah. I think the, uh, you know, they're, they're just getting things, doing things better at the minute, it's as simple as that. Are you carrying out any testing duties on the, the current World Superbike, or do you get a chance to ride the latest iteration of the machine at least? I rode it in the middle of last year. Um, I'm not actively testing it um, this year. I did motor e-development last year, and I'm ride, I rode the, the Superbike. I actually rode Alvaro's bike last year with his, just to fully get a picture of how he's running it in terms of geometry and emulate all his electronic setup. We I just jumped on his bike and what was just, your, just to understand. What was your kind of overarching feeling having sampled um, his What I just said really about, about it being sort of a, a bit of a glorified fancy 250. Right, okay. Yeah, it's, it gave, gave me that feel, you know, I, I had my quirks that I would, you know, with this, with Ducati, what I would use in terms of engine brake and whatnot. Alvaro is, is different to that. It's still, you know, of course it's rideable for me, but I can see how he's able to do what he does with his skill set and the way that he sets up his bike. It's, it all sort of made sense a little bit more to me yeah. after riding it, and yeah. it's, yeah, it's good as well. It's a different challenge when you're riding somebody else's setup completely. Yeah. He runs it quite stiff, so you'd think, you know, as a smaller guy, he would that the bike would be way too soft for me, um, but he actually runs his, his bike pretty stiff, so... Um, of course, you yourself are one of the great unfulfilled talents on a two-stroke 250 in particular. I mean, you must kind of like that setup that you had, I guess. It, yeah, I don't know. I think you know, Alvaro is probably a lot better 250 rider than I ever was. I had a little bit of you know the odd result, which was, which was just okay. But I think I grew a lot as a rider in the years after yeah. that. Really, I don't. I don't think I'm the same rider then as, as what I am now. I think I've improved a lot. Sort of blossomed a bit later than yeah. most. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, leading on nicely to you wrote for just about every manufacturer that there is, I think, through yeah, the course of your career, didn't you? So, yeah. can you pinpoint what it is about Ducati, though, that is so kind of synonymous with bike racing? Well, I mean, they're a bit like Ferrari, I suppose, uh, to use the four-wheel comparison, aren't they? But is there something you can put your finger on with Ducati that makes them as good as they are? I mean, yeah, as you said, they're dominating think, everything at the minute. Yeah, you really get it when you, when you have a race in Italy and you're a factory Ducati rider. It really, you get it at that point, what right. it is like to be a, you know, a rider for the factory. And you do have you know, all the might of um, the Tifosi behind you, both the Ducatisti, um, which, is, which is great. But also another thing which I think is completely different with, with Ducati is that it's a very, the company's pretty small in the end, it's not a huge company and, and Claudio Domenicali is obviously the CEO but he, you know, he's phone call away at any point and you know, racing is really in the blood of Ducati, you know, the, a lot of their success has been built on, on the success of their racing and you can't, I don't think any other manufacturer can, uh, or rider for another manufacturer can Take the same claim. It's more like they're, you know, imagine Ica or, or Chavi. Okay, you're, you're running for HRC. HRC is an excellent part of, of Honda, but really you're part of a massive beast of, of Honda. It's Honda at that point where they do everything. It's so much bigger than Ducati. You don't have that direct line. It's not. It's not all that they do. It's they do. They do lawnmowers. They do yeah. you know, Every, like said, everything. everything. Yeah. And you know, jet skis and whatever. And it's the same for Yamaha. And it's the same for Kawasaki. And it's the same for BMW, even though it is just cars. But it's still like 
Ducati is Ducati, and that's and that is that makes a difference. And it's uh, yeah, I think that the, the passion thing sounds a bit cheesy, but it is it is. Yeah, it but I mean, if that. it's true, it's true. Yeah. Isn't it, at the end of the day, and there's obviously something you yeah. know, nuance or whatever you want to call it that yeah. does distinguish them. And this was a little bit impromptu, this chat, so I'm not going to go on too much, That's but right. without wishing to sound like a completely hopeless romantic, except in what a weapon the Panigale V4 is, is there a little bit of you that misses that sort of sonic boom of the V-twin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what, I've actually got a, um, I've got a Superleggera, and a Superleggera 2, and um, a final edition, and the other month I had to do some stuff with um, basically MOT they haven't been run for ages, but when you, you know, when, when you're racing it, you don't really think twice about you know how it sounds or anything like that. You get used to it. But yeah. when I fired them up the other month just to, to get through this MOT, I was like, yeah, you're bloody hell, that's, that's legal. That's, yeah, that's. Uh, but I, I've got one with um, a which was the final edition, and then another one just for standing exhaust. And then so that final edition, when I fired it up, I was like, yeah, awesome. that's proper. That's uh, yeah. Like you can sort of see why they're like you said, they're nostalgic. They're, I'll be that guy when I'm 60, uh, like, ah, the twins wear that, none of this four-cylinder rubbish or whatever we're on to by the time I'm 60. <laughs> there was something special about that V-twin sound, wasn't yeah, there? I mean, it really was. Yeah, yeah. Something else. Something to it. I've actually got, two, I've got the F-18 from 2018, so I got that, um, my last super, so my last twin, but I've not fired it up yet. But right. the, the day I do get it out for Goodwood or something like that, I'll be a be uh, happily reacquainted with that already. Well, yeah. What a thing to have. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, two little quick ones, uh, silly ones to finish off then. I know the answer to this, but I, I tend to ask riders, you know, that have been retired for a little while, two-stroke or four-stroke? In terms of riding it and, and getting everything out of it and riding it hard, four-stroke for sure, because you've got all the mod cons and that you can't take those liberties with the two-stroke. And there's something nice about that, that you can, you know, you can really ride the for want of a better word, ride the shit out of a four-stroke. And uh, yeah. a two-stroke, you've got to give that, that little bit of respect. But I would say if I had to have any bike in my collection would be like end of the line 250 Aprilia two-stroke. So, because it's such a pure bike, I obviously have a bit of history, but it's not about what I've done with that bike. It's like, I just love that bike. It's such a, you know, the power to weight on that, but also the engineering behind it and everything. And it's part of, I was really quite, I mean, almost nostalgic like I grew up just loving the how a 250 Aprilia and 125 Aprilia sounded looked yeah. everything about it it I was kind of the I apex of the engineering wasn't it the, yeah that particular bike yeah. yeah and I always wanted to ride a factory one so I think the, the last one it has a little bit of like very um, basic traction control and but there's some cool stuff on there so yeah that'd be nice and well I suppose I ought to one thing I meant to ask when I didn't um, to perhaps I'll just quickly drop this in as well Tell us what it was like jumping on the MotoGP bike at Laguna Seca with what, an hour's notice or something, or whatever notice yeah. it was, very, very little. I mean, not enough. The, the history of that was that enough. Hoffman crashed the bike in one of the, was it Friday or? Yeah, so he got taken out at FP1 at the top of the corkscrew. Yeah. Silvan Gintoli punted him, broke his hand, and then they were, so the Pramac team was running around like headless chicken then, just trying to find a replacement, and it went to various people before it came to me, like Ben Bostroms and Miguel Duhamel and Hodgson, and I think there was a lot of you know names in AMA that they were like, can you ride the bike for us? But everybody was under contract, so it wasn't that easy, whereas yeah. I was riding for a private uh, Yamaha team run by an Irish guy, 
I had a contract with him, but it was like you know nothing too serious. We weren't really affiliated with the manufacturer, um, so I basically it came to me. I looked at him like Barry, can can I do it? Fucking right. <laughs> he's like basically you, pushing, pushing me out the door, put, trying to put the suit on me. But yeah, he's an absolute brilliant guy. And um, anyway, yeah, next thing I knew it, I was sat in the garage, got Hoffman's letters on, and uh, we're wheeling out for FP2. And I missed FP1. I hadn't, I'd never rode Laguna to that point. Um, so first taste was a Laguna on a MotoGP bike, Bridgestones, or first time traction control and all this stuff. So um, yeah, it was proper deep end. Yeah, and you had a good weekend actually. Didn't it was you? Good, yeah. Yeah. So the back end of that, back end of that race. Although on, if you just downloaded the results and go and have a look at it, you'll see. I think I was a few laps down because we had a sprocket break. Um, but then when I got back on, I didn't go out with new tyres or anything. But my my late race pace was good. It was really quite competitive. It was sort of like I think it was off the top of my head around like lap times that were comparable with top eight. So if Rossi was doing like a twenty three. He was doing like 23.6, 23.5, and I did. Uh, I was doing like 23.8, and actually, I did. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I went back and just checked the time sheets to see if because we're talking about 16 years ago. Now, yeah, yeah. To see if my memory serves me correctly, and I did have a faster sector one than Valentino wow. in my first MotoGP race. So there's my. <laughs> The claim to fame. Would um, you class that as the best bike you've ever ridden, or you didn't no. have enough time to get to know it? Or was it... Uh, no, I did have time to get to know it. I would say that particular day, the grip level was insane. With we had the Bridgestones, and that was beyond comprehension for me, really, because it was you know I was putting full faith in traction control, and I was told you know this thing's basically can't high side it, which I found out wasn't actually true. <laughs> I did have a few high sides on it later down the line, but. Um, no, it was a pretty raw beast at 800. That it wasn't that nice to ride. Like what Casey did on it was, and it was fast, but he, you know, performed some miracles on it. Which obviously, people then, as the years went on, to like towards 2014, even seven years after his title, it was people were still, you know, giving him still sort of. I don't know if it was really understood at that time what he did on, on yeah. that bike. You know, he just yeah. just wrung the the neck of it. But he, um, yeah, that bike was. It was pretty raw. If you jump on a, even just a bog standard V4, uh, V4S Rogo, and it'd be a far nicer tool than that. So, um, yeah, definitely not. N- no race bikes are that nice to ride. Like, they're really not. They're not. They're they're, they're designed for going fast on, and that's about it. Like, yeah, they're yeah. not comfortable. They're just, you know, it's not comfortable riding at the limit. It's it's aggro, really. Ninety-eight <laughs> like, percent is great, but yeah. 100% is just, just our work. So my last signature question then, which may or may not be a good question to ask, having just heard what you said there, was any bike, any track. So if you could choose any bike from history mm. and combine it with any track from history, it could be current stuff or it could be ancient stuff, if you could have like 10 laps on a, of a dream scenario, mm. does anything spring to mind? I'm guessing there might be an Aprilia T50 involved in this, perhaps, but... Yeah. Wow. One of the big, great long big, lost big tracks questions. of the past. Yeah, I yeah. know, it's, it's a tricky one to answer. Yeah, just trying to think now. Um, I'm just trying to think of some classic tracks. I'm thinking of like World Superbike at Sugo, always looked really cool. Yeah. Um, the old Hockenheim is a popular one. Yeah, old Hockenheim, say. yeah, I actually rode Hockenheim last year, but not the, not the old classic one, but yeah. still, you know, whatever remains of that. But yeah, bike any track, I don't know, probably like a. Um, Bike-wise, I would love to ride the the latest NSR 500 four-cylinder 
proper doing big fat number one on the front like, yeah. just to experience one of them I think would be incredible and on a track probably just want to an airfield or something with that bike. <laughs> so plenty of catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, <laughs> pin it up and down in a straight line. I don't think I want any corners with that bike. But now, um, I don't know. Probably be one that I've already rode at, you know, like a, I don't know, a Hareth or something like that. Did just, you ever race at Suzuka? Yeah, 2001 to 2000. When the last year we were there was 03. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, done a few years there. I'd, yeah. Great, great track. Doesn't meet modern safety standards, but yeah. No, it's great fell by the wayside after Kato yeah. had his accident, didn't it? But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's been very illuminating, okay. and yes. I've really enjoyed that. I hope that I'm sure the listeners will have enjoyed that as well. So, Chad Davis, thank yeah. you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thanks, Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.